Thank you for joining our Transform 365 podcast, a discipleship and teaching ministry of SWCC. We pray this teaching helps you to grow in your journey with Christ. We have some great resources available for you on transform365.com webpage. Feel free to download discipleship materials, small group teaching, as well as peruse our training workshops. Also take time to visit www.swcc.org for videos, teaching, and more. We thank you for listening and your support, and we would love to hear from you. So use our contact page and drop us a line. Now, for our podcast teaching. I want to start with a little story. A small town baker bought his butter from a local farmer. And after weighing his butter, he concluded that the farmer had been reducing the amounts that he had been charging. And so the the baker got really upset and came to the, the farmer and he said, you know, you've been cheating me. I've been buying this one pound loaf for so long and, and you've, been, you've been cheating me. And he says, well, you know, uh, I, I didn't know. I'm so sorry. And he goes, well, let me see your scales. And so he takes out his scales, the the, the, the farmer takes out his scales and he puts it out there and he goes, and what have you been lo- using to weigh out wh- you know, when you give me my butter? And he says, well, hold on, I'll go get it. And he takes out the one pound loaf that the baker had been giving him and he put it on the scale. And immediately the baker realized that he had been the one that had been cheating the farmer. And today we're going to see that that's exactly what Jesus is talking about in this passage is the same standard, the same judgment, the same measure, the same scales that we use towards other people in our life is going to be what lays upon our own shoulders. Right here in this idea, Jesus sees the problem and He addresses it And in fact, he teaches it many times over in his own teaching about judging or jumping to a conclusion. Read with me, if you will, verses 1 and 2, Matthew chapter 7. He says, do not judge so that you will not be, say it with me, judged. That word judge in in the Greek is the word krinet. And it means to make a decisive decision. And it comes from the word krino, which means to pick or to separate. And what Jesus is saying is, hey look, I don't want you to already come picking and choosing, make a definitive decision about something before it's appointed time. I don't want you to jump to the conclusion before you've even experienced the person, is what Jesus is saying in this passage. Because a lot of times you look at somebody's outward, and what are we doing? We've already jumped to the conclusion about this individual. Verse 2, for in the way you judge, you will be judged. And by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. You see, what we want to see from God 
And what we want to see from people is exactly what we should be giving to other people freely, which is love, grace, and mercy. You see, that's exactly what Jesus is saying in this passage. If we want to see love from other people, what should we be giving them? Love. If we want to experience grace, what should we be giving to other people? Grace. If we want mercy in our life, what should we be pouring out on other individuals? Mercy. Jesus is saying what we ourselves need, we should freely give. But this is a matter of paying it forward to receive it. We need to show people around us what we want in our own life. Think about it. God says, forgive your brother so that you will be what? Forgiven. Matthew 6, 14 and 15. Matthew 7, 2, as we just read. Jesus said, by the same standard that you judge, others will judge you. In Matthew 25, 34 to 40, Jesus said, the kingdom of God, it will be like The day that I say to you, I saw you naked and you clothed me. I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. And you'll say, when did we see any of this for you, Jesus? When did we experience you thirsty? When did we see you hungry? When did any of that take place? When did this happen? And he's going to say to them in verse 40, to the extent that you did it to one of my brothers, even the least of them, you did it to me. In other words, you cannot go through your relationship with Jesus if you're not growing in your relationship with others. If you're ignoring your relationship with other people, then in actuality what you're doing is you're ignoring your relationship with Jesus. Now look, I'm not saying that you're not getting anything out of reading your Bible and and, and growing in that way, but if you're not applying what Scripture says then you're obviously not growing. Because Scripture talks about the one another's in your life and how you are to have an impact in their life. Because the path of discipleship, the path of discipleship is a path surrounded by others. In other words, God put four billion people on this earth for you to interact with. There are 4 billion people on earth today that need to hear the Gospel of Jesus Christ. There are 4 billion people on earth today that need to be reached for the Gospel of Jesus Christ or for you to interact and grow in the relationship that you have and they have with Christ. Because we are not called to be Rambo Christians. You know, I was joking around with the men's group the other day because we went over a similar idea with this. And I said, hey, look, you know, the Lone Ranger, yes, he was called the Lone Ranger, but he had Tonto, okay? 
I mean, think of each of the different characters in our lives that we have looked at and we said, oh man, look, I want to be like Batman because he could do it all by himself. No, he had Robin, right? Even Superman, he had Supergirl eventually, right? Everybody has that corresponding person that they grow with. And Christians are called to grow as a community of believers because here we have our strength. Listen, your salvation was a personal decision that you had to make. It was a personal thing. Your salvation is a personal growth with Jesus Christ. It's between you and Jesus, but your growth is dependent upon others. Your growth in Christ is tied to the connection that you have with other people. That's what the entire chapter of 1 Corinthians chapter 12 is. And in fact, if you want to put it down, just lay it out there. The entire book of 1 Corinthians is about your interactions with other people. And that's why Jesus says, the way I relate to you is how you're relating to others. It's why Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, he calls you members of the body and to one another. At the heart of our interaction is our patience, our forbearance, the way we show grace or lack thereof with one another. Take a look back at, first, at Matthew chapter 7. Let's read the whole thing. Do not judge so that you will not be judged. For the way you judge, you will be judged. And by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. Verse 3, why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye, and behold, there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly enough to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Have you ever heard the saying, what goes around comes around? That's the idea within this passage. What Jesus is saying is, look, my measure for you is grace. He's saying, my standard for you is love. My judgment for you is out of mercy. And to go beyond any of these things is to go beyond the teaching of Christ and His example in our own lives. He says the same way you judge a situation, it'll come back on you. It'll be that full circle. The same heart of unforgiveness that you might be holding on to is going to come back on you. It's not that God refuses to forgive you, but the bitterness becomes sin in your life. That unforgiveness becomes sin, and that sin causes you to affect your relationship with Jesus. You see, it becomes a full circle. But he says when you forgive and you get rid of bitterness, your relationship with Him remains intact. 
When you forgive, you're taking a page out of the book of Christ. You're walking in his footsteps. You're walking the path of a disciple, of a follower. When you say, I am a follower of Jesus, when you say, I am a Christian, when you say and you claim to be of Christ, that's what it means to be a Christian. You're saying, I follow in his steps. And you're saying, I choose to forgive. I choose to love. I choose to show mercy. And I choose the path of grace. And Jesus puts it in stronger terms in Matthew chapter 6, verses 14 and 15. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. Look at it, if you will, with me. For if you forgive others for their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, then your heavenly Father will not forgive your transgressions. Jesus isn't setting up a merit system here. There's no way our forgiveness of others could ever earn the forgiveness of God. That's not what he's trying to do. He's not trying to set that up in our lives. What it's talking about is our direct relationship with others affects our direct relationship with God. You see, God's eyes are all around. He sees everything. And when Jesus said, it is finished on the cross of Calvary, He was talking about every sin. When that veil that separated us from God in the temple of the Holy of Holies was torn in two, opening it up for everyone, God saw that it had been completed, all sin paid for. In fact, that's why the writer of Hebrews said when our high priest made his sacrifice, he didn't remain standing and continually making offerings for us. It said what he did in that temple is he took his seat at the right hand of God. Why? Because he never would have to make another sacrifice again. His service as high priest, making sacrifice for people, was done. Amen? Meaning every sin was paid for on the cross of Calvary. So he's saying, why are you holding sin that I paid for against a brother? It shouldn't be this way. I love what the psalmist in Psalm 130, verses 3 and 4 says. If you, O Lord, should mark our iniquities, our sins, is what he's saying, our strikes, our issues, who could stand? But there is forgiveness with you. that you may be feared. Think of the almighty power of God to forgive the sins of the world. He can hold judgment in His hand if He wants to. But He chooses instead to forgive. Or as the psalmist would later put it, as far as the east is from the west, so far has God thrown our transgressions, our sins, from us. 
if God held all the specs you did against you, you would be doomed. If God held all those specks that we want to pull out of our brother's eye or we want to hold up against them, we would be doomed. You would be speechless. You would be convicted. You would be humiliated, embarrassed. You would be sentenced. But we have been forgiven in Jesus of everything and anything that we have done or could do. Amen? You've been forgiven. You've been made clean. You've been given the righteousness of Jesus. You are justified. Amen? When Satan tries to hold something against you as the accuser, Scripture says that Jesus is our ambassador. He stands up for us. He is our, not prosecutor, He's our defense. And when Satan says, look what they did, Jesus stands up in the court of law and says, forgiven, justified, excused, shown grace, given mercy, covered by love. by the cross of Calvary. But the problem is, if we always find a problem, if we do not use God's path, if we don't use His standard, if we don't use His measure of love, grace, and mercy as the barometer, then we're messing it all up. If we look at people as sinners, if we look at them instead of with the love and grace that God looks at people, then we are messing up. Then we will never be able to reach people for the sake of Christ. We'll never be able to grow people for the sake of Christ. Why? Because then we're using ourselves as the standard and the image bearer when we should be using Christ. His love, His grace, His mercy. I heard a joke this week, and it's just so worth repeating. It's one of those jokes you can repeat, too. There was a guy that always found problems with other people. He would just always find a problem throughout the day. You know, if, if, if he went out with his hunting buddy, and they caught tons of fish, you know, and he would be like, man, we filled the cooler with fish today. The guy would look at him and goes, yeah, but it rained. So he always had an issue, you know? Hey, man, we, we shot that big, huge buck. Oh, but, man, you know, it, the fleas that were on it, they just ate at us, right? There was always an issue. Well, this guy, he decided that he was going to go ahead and invest in a new dog because his buddy that always complained, always complained about his dog, you know? Your dog never brings the the duck back in enough time. Your, your dog, oh, you, you call for it and it takes it five minutes to come back. It, I think it's hard of hearing. So he invested in this amazing dog and they went out duck hunting and the guy that's always complaining, he shoots up in the air, boom! He shoots his, he goes, dog! And the dog runs out and goes and grabs it, swims back to him and drops it in the boat. The guy goes, ah, oh, watch this. He sees a duck, boom! Shoots it, dog! The dog goes out and walks on water, doesn't even jump into the water, walks upon the water, grabs the duck, just no saliva on it, just on the tip of its teeth, comes back, drops it, 
in the hand of its owner, then sits down just perfectly at attention. The guy pets his dog and goes, what do you think? The guy looks at him, not even blinking, and says, I think your dog can't swim. <laughs> In Luke chapter 6, we see the idea of a person that always finds problems. That will always use his standard for everyone else which is what Jesus is talking about in Matthew chapter 7. In Luke chapter 6, verses 38, and I'm sorry I didn't give you verse 38, I just decided to throw it in here just right now. Jesus says this, actually let's jump to 37. Speaking about judging, Jesus says, Do not judge, and you will not be judged. And do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Pardon, and you will be pardoned. Give and it will be given to you. They will pour into your lap a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. For by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you in return. Jesus is saying, hey look, you want an overpouring of grace, love, and mercy in your lap? Pour it out on other people. And what you will experience in your life is going to be God's grace, love, and mercy coming back to you. In fact, he's going to pack the sides of that sack where he just reaches down and he pushes and pushes and pushes. Where it's overflowing and he's just pouring more on. Have you ever seen people on those days? Remember when Old Navy used to send those Old Navy bag days? where whatever you could fit inside the bag, you would get 50% off on. I remember that. I went once, and I said, I'm never going to do that again. Because the chaos that ensues in that store, you see people going, and they're grabbing stuff off the rack, and as you're looking, because you're an ordinary person, you're not one of the chaotic, wild people that are in the store, as you're holding that shirt up, to your daughter, or to your wife, or to your son, or to yourself. Somebody reaches and grabs it from you and shoves it into their bag. And these people are coming up to the counter with these bags that are, you know, there's, it's more clothes than it is a bag now because it's busting at the seams. And that's kind of what God is saying here. He's saying, look, I'm going to be busting over with what I pour into your life if you show it to other people. Because that's what I want to give to you. But you have to choose a path of following me. A path that's harder to take. A path of forgiveness. A path of love. A path of mercy and grace. And he spoke a parable to them. Now he's going to give them the example of this in the life. A blind man cannot guide a blind man, can he? Will they both not fall into a pit? A pupil is not above his teacher, but everyone, after he has been fully trained, will be like his teacher. Jesus is saying, hey, look, you're going to stumble with this. 
You're going to fail in this. You're, you're going to want to choose the path of a disciple. You're going to want to not to judge, but you'll, you'll fail. You'll make mistakes. That's okay. Eventually, if you keep on getting up and following me, you'll become more like me. That's what he's saying. Why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye and do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, brother, let me remove the speck that is in your eye when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take out the log in your own eye, then you will see clearly enough to take the speck out of your brother's eye. For there is no good tree which produces bad fruit Nor on the other hand, a bad tree which produces good fruit, for each tree is known by its own fruit. For men do not gather figs from thorns, nor do they pick grapes from briar patches. Jesus is saying in this passage, who you learn from, who you're following, comes out. If you're you're following the world, then judgment will show. And the way you judge is going to show. The passage reveals who you're learning from. The way you judge, the way you measure, the way you standard is going to prove if you follow Jesus. The path of discipleship is away from judgment and into grace. Look at verse 41 and 42. The way you judge reveals what's inside of your heart, what's inside of you, who you're following. We follow Jesus, then let love, grace, and mercy be seen in how you deal with people. Because our heart is an expression of our judgment. In Jesus' day, this parable was most probably meant to be a jab directed at the Pharisees who taught strict adherence to the tiniest details of the law and yet had no compassion on those who are suffering and struggling to survive each day. He's saying, oh yeah, 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 you're not killing people, but you walk by the the man that's hungering and thirsting and barely holding on to life. In fact, you walk around him and you act as if you don't see him. And you see, that's what ate at Jesus. He's saying, you could care less about the being that I died to save. They were blind to goodness. They were blind to grace. They were blind to mercy. They were blind to love others. And because of that, God is saying here, He's saying, hey, you're the blind leading the blind. You're both going to fall into a pit. If all you think life is about is setting up religion in front of you, then you're going to fall into a pit. You have to see life through the lens of Jesus in loving people. And by loving people, you're ending up loving God. Verse 41 and 42, once again, why do you look at the speck that's in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take out the speck that is in your eye, when you yourself 
have a log that is in your eye, you hypocrite. First take out the log that's in your own eye, and then you'll see clearly enough to remove the speck that is in yours. Jesus is calling His learners away from just knowing Scripture and into using it with others. Use it to better yourself. Stop judging. Yes, you can. If, if we wanted to, if we wanted to set up judgment, you could use the Bible to set up judgment. And that's what Jesus was getting to. The Pharisees walk around judging everybody by the standard of Scripture. And Paul said, hey, look, I thought I was doing great in life. Because I had not disobeyed any of the commandments in Scripture until I came to that one verse where it says, oh, but you shall not covet. And you know why that freaked Paul out? Is because he said, I realized that the law was not just an outward law, it was an inward law. And that's where I crumbled in life. Because, guys, it's about love. So embrace grace. Stop judging. The Pharisees could point out the tiniest faults in their neighbor. Unfeeling. They would go and they would call each other brother. That's what Jesus is saying. Oh, you come up to somebody and you say, hey, brother. But it was a false sense of superiority while ignoring the dangerous rot that was in their heart. They're there with this big old plank staking out of their eye. And since a teacher can only teach what he or she knows themselves, they couldn't teach their own disciples how to be gracious and merciful and loving because they had not experienced it themselves. In a battle, soldiers are taught to first apply first aid to themselves. If they're injured, if if their whole platoon is getting shot, they don't reach over to the person next to him and start bandaging his wounds when he has mortal wounds himself. He's first taught to bandage himself, take care of his bleeding, stop his bleeding, so then he is well enough to help the person next to him. Brothers and sisters, that's how we need to approach our standard of life. We're all sinners Saved by grace. So let's bandage ourselves so we can help this world. The problem in passing judgment is that we become the standard bearer of perfection. It reminds me of the uh, story of the farmer that he was shooting bullseyes and his neighbor came. And he looked, and all over the side of the barn, there was just arrows dead center. And, 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 and he's like, wow, you're amazing at this. He goes, you got to teach me your trick. The farmer goes, all right, I'll show you. Picks up his bow and arrow, just wildly shoots it. Shping! Hits it against the side of the barn. He walks up with a can of paint, and he paints a bullseye right around the arrow. See, when we set ourselves up as the image 
or the standard, yeah, we can hit that bullseye every time, can't we? But Jesus says, no, 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 my standard is grace. I'm the image bearer. I'm the standard. Follow that standard. Luke 18, if you would turn there with me, Luke 18, verses 9 and 10, it says this. And he told the people a parable who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and viewed others with contempt. So they looked down at other people because they, they, they thought they had reached the standard. Two men went up into the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and was praying this to himself, God, thank you that I am not like other people. Swindlers. Unjust. Adulterers. Or even like this tax collector. If we want to hit the target, it takes love. To be a Pharisee was not seen in contempt in that time. It wasn't vilified like today. Today, we look at it and we see the word Pharisee in the Bible and we automatically think, oh, the enemies, right? But in that time, they weren't. They were seen as the standard. If you were a Pharisee, you were seen as, as the higher class in society because you had arrived, you had studied under the top rabbis, you were going to be picked to be maybe a, a, one of the holy men of that day. You might be, become one of the high priests. Why? Because you are a Pharisee. Today we think of the Pharisees as the bad guys, like I said. But when Jesus is telling this story, man, Pharisee was the, the top food, you know, the, the, the top of the food chain when it came to religion. It meant that you had dedicated time to study and know God and that you stood on some high moral ground. And here Jesus is contrasting the moral Pharisee to an immoral tax collector. You see, in that day, the tax collector was seen as the low of the low, the scum of the earth. Why? Because the tax collectors, what they did for the Jewish people is they would choose a Jewish tax collector. They would choose a, a, a person that was allied from their own. And they would make them the tax collector for that town. Why? Because that person knew all the dealings of the town. That person knew this person. They grew up together. And so they would be looked at by the rest of the Jewish people as a traitor. Oh, you work for Rome now. You collect taxes. They're basically the IRS of that day. Okay? And here the Pharisee knows it. So what does he do? He walks into the temple. And he says, thank you, God, that I'm not a thief. That I'm not a cheat. That I don't sleep around. Lord, because that's that man right there. He's the horrible tax collector. But me, I'm a Pharisee. I'm the standard. He comes to God seeing himself above everyone else. 
And he lists his accomplishment. He tells God why God should be happy to have him in his temple and in his service. He tells God, hey, look, God, look, listen to this list that I've accomplished for you. God, this is why I'm so good, and this is why I'm so righteous, and this is why you should be happy that I'm here. Listen to this. Verse 12. I fast twice a week. Wow. God, I fast twice a week. And I tithe of all that I get. That's the Pharisee's prayer. I'm not like him, God, and I do these things. But look at the tax collector's prayer. Listen to the contrast. But the tax collector was standing some distance away. He was not even willing to lift up his eyes to heaven. But he was beating his chest, saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. The tax collector is broken. He doesn't bother to look up because of the shame that he's dealing with in life. He doesn't try to even get close to the altar. He doesn't even try to look at the Holy of Holies. He doesn't want to come near to it because he's standing far off. He doesn't even feel like he deserves to be in the temple. he's, He's more towards the area where the Gentiles were allowed to be. And he's beating his chest as if he's hating his sinful flesh. And he says, God, I'm the sinner. He he uses it as if there's no other person that sins. Because he gives that definite article before it. He says, the sinner. I am the sinner. I'm the only one God. Why? Because he's not recognizing anybody else's sin. He's saying, God, compared to you, I'm the sinner. No mention of other people. No mention of his good actions. Just a prayer, God, I'm broken and I need forgiveness. You see, what we all need to do is realize and approach God and people in that way. Because haven't we all prayed that prayer before? We all came to the throne of God realizing we were helpless to help ourselves. That we needed a Savior to get us to heaven. That we needed a gracious God to forgive us our sins. We've all been in that moment and what we need to do is remember that moment constantly when we interact with other people. Amen? Why? Because God was at work in the outhouse. God was at work in the life of a man that was stuck in sin. In fact, Sometimes that's where God does the biggest work. Listen to the pain in his voice, not mentioning a single person, not not a hint of comparison one to another. He says, forgive me the sinner. That's true remorse. That's seeing God for who he is. 
that all-powerful, all-seeing God. And seeing yourself for who you are. You know the prophet Isaiah when he experienced God? The, the prophet Isaiah. You read the first five chapters of Isaiah. Isaiah's going around to the nation of Israel and to the other nations and he's saying, Woe unto you! Judgment's coming! Woe to you! Woe, woe, woe! He's going around and he's being a prophet. He's He's, he, he knows his status of, of being God's prophet, but then all of a sudden you go to Isaiah chapter 6 and he experiences God. He sees Jesus sitting in the temple. And what does he do? He says, Woe unto me, for I am a man of unclean lips and I come from a people of unclean lips. He realizes his position. He realizes his place. I remember when I was in middle school, I never did well in math, and usually when midterms came, I was usually averaging about a C- minus or a D. And by the time report cards came out, I was at a solid C, because I would be able to, you know, just, it was like, you know, you'd get a bad grade, you'd get a good grade. You'd get a bad grade, you'd get a good grade. And so I just was always like that, and by the time report card came, I had a C. And I remember I would wait to show my parents my progress report till my brother had shown his. Why? Because I knew that my brother was going to do horrible in all his classes. When my brother got into high school, he had given up, and he was just, you know, my brother is actually a genius. He could read a book and tell you everything that was in it. He, he, he did nuclear engineering with the Navy, and he just was a brilliant guy, high IQ, but never really gave effort at all. And I knew that my brother was going to come to my parents with all D's and F's. And then what he would do, unlike me, I would study my rear end off, and then I would make that C in math at the end, or whatever it might have been. You know, I, I got A's and B's in the rest of my classes, but I had to study really hard to do that. My brother, he would get all F's, all D's, all F's, all D's, and then he would read his book for an hour before midterms and final exams, and he would get 100% A. And that's how he passed high school. So I remember... I would go and I would wait for my brother and my parents would just get so furious with him. Oh, how in the world? You need to apply yourself. Get good grades. These D's and F's aren't acceptable. Ah, and they're yelling and they're screaming. And then I was like, oh, okay, he did bad. And then I would come with my A's, B's and that one either C minus or D and I'd be like, oh yeah, I'm going to try harder. Trust me. I'm, that's unacceptable. I will make sure that that's higher. And they would be like, see, why can't you be like your brother, Robert? But eventually that stopped because my parents eventually stopped asking my brother for his report card. And then they would look at me with that D on that progress report and they would say, Cody, right? And you may laugh because uh, it is, it's funny. But let's be honest, we do the same thing, don't we? We all do the same thing. We look around for somebody else that's failing worse than ourselves to compare to. Why? Because out of all the mistakes, errors, and accidents, that means I'm doing a little bit better. That's why we like it when teachers grade on the curve, right? Take the highest grade. 
and just grade, uh, take everything else from there. But our forgiveness shouldn't bring a heart of judgment, but heart of compassion, grace, and mercy. The path of a disciple is away from judgment. Jesus' measure is grace. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, so we might become the righteousness of God in him. Jesus' measurement is grace. He says right here, this is where I want everybody to measure. And it says grace. His standard is love. Take a look at Romans 13 with me, real quick. Romans 13, and we see his standard, verses 8 through 10. He says, Owe nothing to anyone except to love one another, for he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. For this you shall not commit murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And if there is any other commandment, it is summed up in this saying, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does not do wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Jesus' standard is love. He's saying, I hold you to the standard to love everyone. I hold you to this measurement, which is grace. Pour it out. And you know what his judgment is? His judgment is mercy. Hebrews 9, 27 and 28. And inasmuch as it is appointed for men to die once, and then comes judgment, then comes that time that you stand before God. So Christ also, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time for salvation without reference to sin to those who eagerly await Him. His judgment is mercy. He says, yeah, I, I can, I should, and I could. hold you accountable for the wrongs you've done. But I show you mercy. If we want to be different, then we have to be the difference in this world. Which means we have to show people not what we stand against, but the love, grace, and mercy we stand for. Amen? That's the path of a disciple. Thank you for joining the Transform 365 podcast, a ministry dedicated to helping you grow in relationship to Christ. If you want to know more, find us at transform365.com or on our church website, www.swcc.org located in Miami, Florida. Until next time, remember, the only work in grace is to let grace work in you. God bless.